This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Deeply Graphic Design Cast, the show about all things design, from the creative side to the business side and all points in between. Follow the show on Twitter at Wes McDowell. Want the gang to answer your question on an upcoming episode? Send in your listener question to questions at thedeependdesign.com or via Twitter using hashtag DGDC. Here are your hosts. Wes McDowell in Chicago. Nick Longo in Los Angeles. Uh-oh, we're missing somebody. She's sick today. Yeah, she so couldn't make it. No, but uh, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a really good episode this time. Uh, it's gonna be just the three guys here. The third guy we're gonna introduce to you in a little bit, um, but I think you're gonna really like what he has to say. So, Nick, what's going yeah. on in your world? Everything's been good, man. Um, keeping a little busy and then having a little bit of a break uh, right before the semester of school starts next week. So, um, just trying a lot of different and new things. You know, like we talked about last week, putting the video out there. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback and two uh, possible new clients just kind of out of checking out the website and, um, you know, asking around and, and putting in a brief. Have you gotten so, any, uh, any dates, date requests yeah. from the video? <laughs> I guess I got to post it on other sites to kind of get that happening. Huh? Yeah. I feel like that's the added benefit of doing the video is just like, hello, that's ladies or, or gentlemen, whichever. Whichever no, way you, you go. Putting a, uh, maybe taking really good screenshots from it because it looks so professionally done, right? Exactly. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> I love no, it. It, look, it looks really good, though. I, I checked it out, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty great video. So Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. it. I can't wait to do more. And you know what's cool is a lot of listeners have kind of um, chimed in and asking about it. And uh, our friend Darren, I believe, who was uh, part of the episode where we kind of took his question and um, – yeah really talked about he did one as well and sent me a link to it and i was really uh, cool to see and i think he tweeted to both of us about being the inspiration behind his video look at that i did i, I did see that on twitter good job man good job darren it was it that was great cool. i'm glad really to see it's catching listeners on. yeah for sure how yeah, about you how's everything going man it's good it's kind of i know we always like i think our go-to is always are so busy but it's it's getting properly busy around here good, which is good. good it's good stuff but it's just kind of hard to to juggle everything, but I hear make, you. making it work. Good you know? for you, man. Yeah. Good for you. But we were just talking a little bit about video, and that's going to segue perfectly into brand new sponsor, videoblocks.com. Oh, yes. Awesome. We have a new sponsor. For those of you that were thinking our, our sponsorships are getting stale, you've heard it all before, we got something new for you. We got Videoblocks. We, uh, so video blocks are asking, what is that? It's basically an affordable subscription based stock media site that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage. So we've, uh, we've had a sponsor in the past that has stock photos and some stock video, but you had to pay everything a la carte with their video with video blocks. There's some a la carte stuff, but there's a whole lot of free content for members. That's great. Yeah was recently turned on to these guys and went through browsing their selection. And 
I was pretty blown away with what they've got. They've got um, stuff in just about every genre, subgenre you could ever ask for. And you know, we hit, especially me, I hit the video constantly. I ring that bell all the time because video is so powerful in web design. And this is a great way to get um, just little elements that you, you know, maybe you don't want to go to the beach and get your own video. They got it. Maybe you don't want to, or maybe you just don't live by the beach. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, or just be lucky like you. you can add it so much more to your design when you would typically probably rule it out because you thought it would include a day of shooting, finding a video guy and a model and that stuff adds up so quickly. So oh, yeah. what a great alternative. Absolutely. So yeah. it's, you know, the same content you find in the more expensive stock sites and it's cheaper They've got a great variety of time-lapse aerials, uh, U.S. and international locations, um, slow-motion nature shots, everything. And they're always adding new content to the library. So if you don't find what you need today, that doesn't mean you won't find it tomorrow. Um, And it's simple, unrestricted licensing. So you don't ever have to worry about getting sued even after um, your membership is over. Oh, fantastic. So you put it on your site. Yeah. And let's say you remember this year, next year you don't do it, and then you can still use it. So it's great. And it's not even expensive. It's like their normal price is $150 a year. Yeah, 150 That's a year. That's great. That's great. And, but for our listeners, you guys listening, lucky you, you get your yearly subscription for $50 off, so 99 bucks for a year. That's wow. less than $10 a month. So get your yearly subscription today for only $99 at videoblocks.com slash deep 50 that's videoblocks v-i-d-e-o-b-l-o-c-k-s dot com slash deep 50 deep 50 for this discounted offer dude i'm logging on today yeah it's 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 really good stuff i'm not even kidding like they got really great stuff so check them out that's great good to hear great job All right, so we promised you a third gentleman on today's show and here he is we've got josh hoffman Social media guru, right, Josh? Is that What's fair up, to say? Josh? So the funny thing is a lot of people say, oh, you're a social media expert, you're a guru. I'll never use those words. They'll never come <laughs> well, out of my mouth. But if you want to call me that, by all means. Yeah. Guru and uh, ninja are two terms I'm Ooh, just kind of sick I of hearing. I can't stand that one. Ninja just makes me want to vomit, to be honest with you. Yeah. I just had to say something, and that was... It sounds I appreciate the kind of words. <laughs> well, thanks, Josh, for showing up. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. You got it. So just to give you, the listeners, a little background, um, last year I was looking at bringing in some social media experts and people uh, of that like into my classroom and to get them to inspire the kids to kind of understand the, the beginning blocks of kind of social media and how to use it. And Josh was great enough to come into my class Uh, give the students a really good exercise. And then it made us think maybe this would be a great thing to show kind of a graduated uh, discussion on social media for our listeners who are all running their independent design company. And so uh, thanks again for being here. Maybe uh, give the listeners a little background info on what you do, how you got here. Yeah. So I used to study journalism at San Diego State University, got my degree in journalism, uh, worked in the media industry for about five years. And so I always kind of had a storytelling knack um, for being able to create content and then share that content with uh, a large audience. Um, in 2012, I decided that I didn't want to work in the kind of corporate industry of journalism and media. So I transitioned into a social media and content marketing freelancer. And, you know, in the last four years, have uh, built my business, built my personal brand, uh, and done a lot of cool things both in the United States, but also internationally. 
And, um, you know, today I run a website as well called the social media freelancer.com, which is basically teaching social media marketers, uh, how to develop a six figure freelance business. Great. Awesome. So we really want to take advantage of Josh being here and talk about how we turn social media into followers and how to turn followers into potential clients. And I think that's kind of the, 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 the focus here, what we want to talk about. I want to get into talking the first point here about you saying you should be thinking about you as a brand on all social medias. And what do you mean by that? How do we become brands, even if we're just individuals and, and, and take it from there? Right. Well, it's the basic uh, situation between commodities, which are things that are just, you know, there for the taking. You can buy it at, you know, this store, that store. And you have, you know, the same product that's widespread across the industry versus brands, which are few and far between, which make us feel and think and remember certain things about certain industries and certain products. And in this case, certain services. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if we're talking about graphic design, for instance, you know, you can go on Google, you can go on 99designs, you can go on all these different marketplaces, you can ask your friends, and you can literally, after 48 hours of doing all that, have hundreds of names and, and businesses and agencies at your disposal. Yeah. And so at that point, it's just a matter of who's going to give me the best bang for my buck. Whereas when you're a brand, people want to work with you because of you. And sure, you're good at graphic design. Sure, you're good at web development. Sure, you're good at dealing with clients. Mm -hmm. But when you're a personal brand, you now are able to command more attention because you swing the, the pendulum of leverage in your favor. Instead of people saying, oh, you're just a graphic designer, it's more about, it's more about them saying, no, I want to work with you, Nick, or you, Wes. And whatever you're going to charge, I'm willing to pay because you've elevated yourself beyond just a service provider. Yeah. And we talk about that all the time on the show about being the expert, being um, someone who brings something to the table other than just the deliverable. Yeah. You know, and, so and I want to hop in there real quick and say, when I talk about personal branding with my community of freelancers uh, and any community of freelancers, it's not just about the expert professional aspect. I think a lot of people focus on that. I think it's equally important to focus on the personal aspect of a personal brand and give people the full story of who you are and what you do, not just as a professional, not just as an expert uh, and a thought leader, but also as who you are as a person, as a personality. What do you do outside of work? You know, what are you interested in? What do you believe in? You know, how do you live your life? When you kind of start to peel back all those layers, I look at a personal brand as an onion, multiple, multiple layers. The professional expert level thought leadership layers are some of them, but they're not all of them. And I think for each person, you know, I'm very comfortable putting out my entire life on the internet, you know, through social media, through my blog, et cetera. And other people may be less comfortable doing that. Each person has to decide where their comfort level is in terms of what they want to share with their audience. Mm -hmm. But I think that definitely having some balance of professional and personal is the best way to build a personal brand today. Okay, Josh. So talk a little bit about selling your services and selling yourself. I think we talked right. about, you know, you brought that up. So how do you sell yourself? Well, it's funny, you know, I had a conversation a few weeks ago with a prospective client and literally for the first 10 minutes of our conversation, we didn't talk about social media, content marketing, digital marketing. We talked about the Lakers. And the reason we <laughs> talked about the Lakers is because on my website, it says that my original <laughs> career aspiration was to be the starting point guard for the Los Angeles Lakers. And then eventually I realized that wasn't so realistic. <laughs> but it's just doing things like that, where again, you're, you're focusing not just 
about you as the professional, as the expert, as the, you know, longtime veteran in the industry or whatever it is you're trying to sell or the person with an amazing client roster. That's all great. I'm not saying ignore that. I'm saying in addition to that, add elements of personality of who you are away from your expertise and away from your day-to-day work. And so, you know, that's just an example of how, you know, I talk about the Lakers and basketball and sports and, you know, different things that for me are who I am, not just me as the social media guru, as you said, or me as a digital marketer or what have you. Yeah. What about the, what about the folks who are a little reluctant to even, and not so much, it's not the, the amount they want to share, but they've never had to sell themselves really. And they're not comfortable with it. I do meet a lot of uh, young professionals who are a little uncomfortable with that. What kind of icebreakers can we give them to kind of help them really promote themselves as that brand or personality? Well, I think it's interesting when you use the term sell yourself. I don't look at it as selling. I look at it as a socializing, which I know is a very cliche thing to say uh, these days in terms of social media and, and, and that kind of thing. But I think, you know, the same way that you would talk to a friend, to a family member, to an acquaintance is the same way that you should approach a prospective client or people that you want to work with in the future or people that you're already working with. Yeah. You know, obviously you want to be professional. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. But They're people at the end of the day. And people connect with people based on shared experiences, based on shared interests, based on shared beliefs. Um, And so the more that you can create that shareability in those interests, beliefs, and passions and and experiences, the more you can connect to a prospective client, for instance. And then once you develop that extra layer of trust, they're going to be that much closer to wanting to hire you as the professional. Okay. So how does this translate? I, I understand how this works when, uh, you know, let's say this morning I had a few client calls where, yeah, you, you ideally want to kind of have a few minutes of chit chat. That's a little more personal before you get right into the business. How does yeah, this like work natural. on social media? So I always segment all of my channels. I'm using right now Facebook. I have a, both a personal Facebook page and a professional account, a Facebook uh, business account. I have Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Medium. And I just segment according to what I believe people really want in terms of content they want on those channels. So Facebook, I'm doing both professional type of content and also personal content. But then when you look at my Instagram and my Snapchat, that's exclusively personal day in the life of Josh. This is what I love to do when I'm not working content. And I think, you know, when you when you go on an Instagram or a Snapchat, that's really what people want there. They don't want to be told, oh, these are the five ways you should better market yourself or, you know, here's, you know, five tips for improving your Facebook page. They just want fun, interesting, relatable, experiential content. And so, you know, but on Twitter, for instance, and on LinkedIn as well, I'm a lot more professional in my approach in terms of the content that I'm putting out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's funny because I think we're juggling so much as far as where a post should go on what platform and whatever. And this might be a great intro and just kind of going through each one and, and maybe your recommendation on what we should be doing there in general. And then we'll go into a little more specifics. But like, for example, like you mentioned Facebook, you have your personal and your business one. So the business one, I'm assuming, is a bit more about looking for new work and getting trying to get someone interested in your brand or your company, correct? Correct. You know, I think that the first thing you have to do when you're talking about putting content out and using social media as a distribution channel is understanding who your audience is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously you guys being the uh, graphic design branding professionals would know a lot better than I would, but 
from my understanding, in this situation, you can either work with owners mm-hmm. or managers of a company, art directors, right? You know, branding directors, things of that nature. And so, but a branding or art director might want something different or definitely want something different than the owner of a, a small business, for instance, in terms of the content that they want about you as a professional. Mm-hmm. And so I think first and foremost, identify who your target audience is. Are you going after the business owner or the high level manager? Or are you going after an art director, for instance? Because those two groups of people want two different things. Once you've been able to establish that, then I think, you know, from the professional side, you can say, well, a business owner doesn't really care about the five tips to better improve your logo or, Mm -hmm. you know, how to improve user experience on your website. They care about the bottom line, literally. And Mm -hmm. so everything else is a means to that end. And so I always tell people that want to go after business owners and high level managers, focus on the end, not on the means. The means are your services. Your services are great. They're going to help you get from the means to the end, but focus on the end when you're talking about your product and then when you're creating content about your products and services. From a personal standpoint, um, you know, I think Instagram and Snapchat are for sure the two biggest ones, as I mentioned, that are a lot more uh, personal in nature and more raw and more authentic. I think that's really the, the, the key here is that if you look at what you see on Facebook today, also what you see on LinkedIn and a little bit of Twitter, mm-hmm. it's a lot more manufactured. But when you look at uh, when you look at Instagram and especially Snapchat, it's a lot more authentic and raw. And so use that to your advantage. You know, understand that you don't have to make it all glossy and sugar coated, and that you can actually just put out you know content that represents literally what you do in your day to day life. Yeah, I, I thought too it was interesting when I look at. I've been seeing bigger companies now and what they do on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm sorry, and on Snapchat specifically, and they are trying to kind of gear it. They have no other choice. There's no other way to post on there, but very spontaneous and in the moment. And I think that's, like you said, that's kind of what makes them so personal. And that's really cool. I think, uh, go a little bit more on what you were saying where you're talking about showing the, the, the end, the result. I, I kind of think a lot of times I want to show someone the benefit of why they'd be working with me. Here's the result of what is, is that what you're kind of saying and what to focus on? Yeah, I mean, I'm, again, if we're talking about business owners, mm-hmm. so business owners care about four or five things. They care about getting more exposure to, to new customers. They care about their brand, how they look and feel, how they're presented. Yeah. They care about lifetime customer value, which is how much the average customer spends with a business over the lifetime of their relationship with that business. And they care about stronger relationships with their existing customers, which produces more word of mouth. And so that's all I talk about in my content. From a professional standpoint, I don't talk about, you know, oh, you need to be doing this with your Facebook page or, oh, you know, this is how you should use video in your content marketing. All those things are a means to the end of growing and maintaining a business. And so when you talk the language of your audience, you now better engage them. And then to add the personal aspect of the personal brand, you're now able to create you know, deeper levels of, of interest and engagement to where they're now willing to pay whatever you want to charge. Got it. All right, Josh, can you give us some um, examples of what kind of content you should put on each platform? Like, how do you do it? Yeah, I think, you know, when I talk to social media marketers, if you're a social media marketer today, you should be putting out so much content because that's what you do for your clients. That's literally what you do for your clients. So if you can't do that for yourself, something's wrong. If you're a graphic designer, now I understand you might not be able to be the best writer or maybe produce the best videos or the best, the best gifts. Actually, gifts, technically, you yeah. could produce good gifts. Yeah. But, <laughs> right. yeah. 
Exactly. Or but, you might not have that much content to put out every day. Correct. Gotcha. And, and I think a lot of people, uh, any type of service provider, whether you're a graphic designer, social media marketer, et cetera, I think a lot of people are only putting out content about what they do. And what I'm right. saying is tell the whole story. And so if you look at Facebook, you know, everyone knows right now video and Facebook Live, which is the, yeah. the live streaming capability on Facebook is big. That's hard to do, but that's certainly what's, what's winning on Facebook. You know, Instagram, I just saw the other day that now Instagram video is, is just totally surging, which is expected. You know, before it was predominantly photos, so now video is picking up steam. And now they have this new uh, stories, which you can do, and they expire after 24 hours, you know, taking a page out of Snapchat's book. But I don't, you know, the, these are also means to the end, meaning, you know, they're just formats of content. What you really need to decide as somebody who's now creating content and distributing it on social media is what should the content be? And then how does it best come to life? You know, so in, if, if, if I want to tell people five ways uh, to, to do something, you know, the, the, the standard listicle that we see across the internet today, that's probably best in a written post. Maybe I throw a few GIFs in there or a few videos or I'm sorry, a few photos, but, you know, I'm probably not going to go in, on Facebook Live and ramble about five things to do, blah, 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 blah. But if I want to maybe, you know, if I'm at the beach and I have kind of some inspirational thought that I want to, you know, talk about from a business standpoint or from, you know, whatever it may be, then maybe I might open up Facebook Live and record uh, a, a video and then, you know, post that type of thing in real time. So I just really think first focus on the kind of content you want to put out. And then once you're able to do that, then you can go and say how does this content best come to life? And of course, for each piece of content, that's going to be different. And what you post on Twitter and Instagram, by the way, you might not post on Facebook or what you post on Facebook, you're probably not going to post on Snapchat. Don't feel like you have to paint each channel with the same brush. You know, Treat mm -hmm. each channel as its own audience, as its own community. And then once you do that, you'll start to put out different types of content in different formats on each network. That's, yeah. that's cool. I have noticed people really being different. It might be the same image or the same um, universal thing that they're talking about, but the post is a little crafted for each platform. I'm always impressed with that and I see when people do it. One of the things I'm also really impressed into is when I see people I follow or when I'm just kind of going through Twitter and, and specifically Instagram, I'm always impressed with the people that get people to respond and comment and engage and then there's this conversation below it and I, I I join in because I can't help because it's something I'm really interested in or whatever. What, what, how do you break that, that kind of wall down, especially for our listeners who maybe be, are starting to try now posting their work and getting it out there? How do you engage people to talk? Do you ask them questions? Do you ask, you know, what do you get, how do you get them to start talking for you? I know this is maybe <laughs> simplifying it, but give them something to talk about. I think, you yeah. know, you so often and you see businesses, brands uh, of all, all sizes and types you know, there's this thing where it's like, you have to have a call to action in every single post. You have to ask a question in every single post. And that's just awkward. That's socially awkward. You know, whenever, you know, I meet a friend or I come see Nick, you know, here in Los Angeles, I don't always come up to him and just ask him all these questions just for the sake of asking questions so I can quote unquote engage him. But when I want to know something genuinely about him or I'm curious about something that he's doing or something that he said in our conversation, then I'll ask a question. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, it's funny, like, the, the, the social parameters and the social norms that exist offline, all of a sudden, <laughs> just get thrown yeah. out the window when you go <laughs> online. 
yeah. and I find that so ironic because it's it's literally you know the the, the 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 situation is the same whether you're communicating with people online or offline the social conventions are the same and once you can realize that and come to terms with that you'll automatically start engaging better and deeper with the people you want to reach cool okay what how do you this uh, how would you recommend kind of getting something on Facebook to get shared other than just having shareable content we know that but um right like how do hitting you that share button yeah yeah i mean I, re- I remember i used to see things on facebook that would say like you know what do you think about do you do you like this trend yes or no if yes like it if no share it or something like no so that's clickbait yeah. and exactly and all the social media channels are now literally penalizing that kind of content uh, okay. and, and, and you don't want to be, even if they weren't penalizing it, you don't want to be that person like who's that. so desperate to, to get you to like, comment, or share something. Um, you know, we know that you know, sharing comes down to psychology, and we know that people share things because it represents who they are or how they want to be perceived. Mm-hmm. And so, again, that's, that's the end of the means. The content is the means in that situation, and the end is what that content represents. And so, again, if you want people to share your work, don't post your services. Don't say, oh, I just designed this great thing or this website. People are not going to share that. There's one person in the world who's going to share that, and that's the owner of that website. That's the owner (laughs) of that new logo. Right. Right. And so, again, think about the end and not the means, which is your services. So the end, you know, might be, uh, you know, if we're talking about graphic design, uh, I would say talk about maybe why branding is important in general at a higher level or talk about why, uh, you know, talk about just your day-to-day life as a business owner. I think other business owners can relate to that. You know, like five struggles that I had to face during my first year as a new business owner. Uh, And that's something that is not just about graphic design anymore, not just about branding. That's about life. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's a life experience. And I think once you can make it more experiential and once you can relate deeper to people than just the surface of what you're selling and, and how you're trying to sell it, that's when you're going to get people to share your stuff. I've made a very conscious effort in the last year to talk less about what I do and more about the, the higher level, bigger picture uh, type, of, type of content that I can already see is getting shared more. You know, I'm now being invited to talk on podcasts, such as this great one. Mm-hmm. Um, guest writing for different websites. And this is people that are coming to me. I'm not reaching out to them and say, Hey, uh, you know, can, 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 can I write for your, you know, like just the other day, some guy was like, Hey, I saw your post on medium. Can I please repost it on my website? Of course you can, you know? And so it was, you know, and that those things, but that's because I've, I've been able to, again, focus on the end of what my services represent and what I, what, what I do on a day to day represents. It's not, you know, no one really cares about what I do on a day to day, but they care about the lessons that I'm learning, the experiences that I'm going through, because they can relate to that. Nice. Sure. And it's like, I think we were going to talk about being authentic. And I think that makes true sense. It's almost like I, I always look and see what engaged me or what did I like about any particular post or when I shared it. And I think that's truly what you said. It's about just being orga- uh, organic, but also that authentic thing. You could tell when someone's not like right off the bat. So more authentic, the more about you, the more about what you're dealing with is kind of a great way to 
enhance it. And and you know, a lot of people like to paint this this perfect personal brand. Yeah. Nick and I were talking just before we got on the podcast about somebody who we both think is very successful. And then you hear through different people, well, they're not as successful as they actually are. Or 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 you meet them and you realize, oh, they're not really the person I thought they were. And so don't be afraid also as you're cultivating your personal brand to show the 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 not so sexy aspects you know mm-hmm. the the downtimes the struggles the the turbulence the the growing pains i think a lot of people will relate to that too because that really humanizes you and it makes you feel a lot more relatable than just you know the 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 perfect graphic designer the perfect you know business owner the perfect mm-hmm. this that and the other that's great in certain situations because then people can learn from from what you're doing or people can derive inspiration and motivation from it but people also like to know that you're an actual human just like them. And when you create that relatability uh, dimension between you and your audience, that will also increase not just engagement, but as you mentioned, Wes, shareability. All right, cool. cool. So you mentioned Medium a little bit ago. That's one I'm not too familiar with. Um, and I know that you kind of really recommend Medium and LinkedIn as very unused platforms that people should be using. Um, why are these two, Medium and LinkedIn, going to be so important for freelance designers? Yeah, that's a great question. So we'll start with LinkedIn. And, you know, LinkedIn used to be, and in still in many ways is perceived to be, just kind of this online digital resume where you go on, you create an account, you fill out your, your profile, and then you yeah. walk away. And, you know, maybe you, you check in once a month or twice a month or, you know, maybe you get an email from LinkedIn every so often. You say, oh, maybe I'll just check in and, and wipe off the dust, so to speak. But LinkedIn is a bona fide social media network for anyone who's in the B2B industry. I think mm-hmm. even if you're in the B2C industry, there's still room for you to be on that platform. But especially if you're in the B2B industry, which, of course, any graphic designer is, I'm yep. in, any service provider is, is in, uh, if you're in B2B, LinkedIn is amazing. Uh, they they recently actually kind of refurbished the entire platform and took it to a new level. Um, they have now a built-in blogging platform called LinkedIn Pulse, which means you can literally blog from within LinkedIn, and that increases your reach and your engagement uh, with those posts as opposed to just sharing a link to a blog post on your website, for instance. Um, they have an entire news feed now like you have on Facebook. I think that if you're in business today, the number one platform you should be focusing on for building your business is LinkedIn. Use all the other ones because they're good for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But I, I put LinkedIn at the top of my list. And I only tell you that because I've derived so much business from companies that you would be surprised. You know, mm-hmm. UC Berkeley, I just got a request for a proposal from the number one public school in the United States based yeah. on my presence on LinkedIn. Uh, I just got invited to speak at a marketing conference at Microsoft's uh, headquarters here in Los Angeles in a few weeks on LinkedIn. I mean, I can just go down the list and just share with you all the experiences and 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 the uh, positive reaction that I've been able to to garner on LinkedIn. Uh, Medium is is a newer pub, uh, newer channel uh, that was started by one of the co-founders of Twitter. And it's what I love about Medium is it's half social media network. So you have a profile, you have followers and people who you can follow, like a Twitter, for instance. And it's also half publishing, half blogging. And so you're effectively sharing long form content with your social media network on Medium. It's very creative. So anyone who's in the creative industry should definitely get on there. You don't have to necessarily be putting out content if you're not comfortable uh, doing so at this moment, but just to engage and see what other people are putting out. There's a ton of creatives on Medium. Um, 
And then it's just another great way to put out put out content um, that you know. To me, I think there's still a lot of uh, a lot of good things that come out of long form content, even though we're reading less today and we don't want to spend four or five minutes on an individual piece of content like maybe we would have a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I still think that there's room for that kind of content if, again, you're able to tell the story in the right way in the way that it should be told. Um, sure. So I've seen amazing results on, on Medium, not necessarily clients, but building my personal brand, building my network. And you have to understand something. When you have an audience, it's not just about those people and whether or not they're going to buy what you're selling. It's about who they may know. And I always believe that everybody knows somebody mm-hmm. who is going to be ready to buy what you're selling at some point in time. True. And so don't ignore the network effect. Don't be short-sighted and say, well, Nick, if you're not going to buy my services, see you later. Wes, if you're not going to buy my services, have a good life. Understand that you, the two of you may never buy what I'm selling, mm-hmm. but you're definitely going to know somebody who will at some point. If I can maintain relevance in your lives, that will increase the likelihood that you'll refer me business. And that's really my definition of marketing is establishing relevance in people's lives before they're willing ready and able to buy what you're selling or before they know somebody who's willing, able and ready to buy what you're selling. So you're kind of like first at the top of their mind when it comes to who do I know that does whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. that's just cultivating relationships. It's not one blog post. It's not, let me try this for a month. Let me go on LinkedIn because Josh just said <laughs> yeah. everyone who's in the B2B space should be on LinkedIn. And let me do that for a few weeks and see what happens. It's literally yeah. a systematic strategic approach I always say one is greater than zero. Do something every day that puts you in the right direction. It doesn't have to be, you know, a home run, but try to get on base if you understand the baseball analogy or just take a baby step. And, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe it's writing a blog post today and maybe it's, you know, updating your uh, LinkedIn profile tomorrow. Maybe it's just checking on LinkedIn once a day. Maybe that's, that's your one is greater than zero approach. But uh, this has to, I mean, this is a, a long game. You don't win the game in the first quarter. You have to play all four quarters. Sometimes you have to go into overtime as well. As you can see, I'm a big sports fan. And, uh, and, and yeah, just really embrace the fact that this is a long game and this is a game of consistency as well. Okay, I'm great. so glad we're talking about – like LinkedIn just seems to be the biggest buzzword that I'm hearing throughout everybody. And went through a cool boot camp with my students last uh, – back in about – I think it was around May. And I was so surprised to find out – how much is happening in the background of LinkedIn and how much you have an internal score with them that basically is based on your, your content, your exchange, how much you're on there, what you're doing to kind of keep you yourself relevant. So it's funny. She kind of mentioned that if you think of it as a game, if you think if you're competitive, this is such a great platform to play because it's also benefiting you and your, in your business and everything. And Wait, so you uh, have I, like, so you have like a LinkedIn score, like your Uber rating. Exactly. And okay. it's in the ba- it's in the background. It's kind of something that it's the way you either show up more frequently in searches. It's if it pushes your posts posts to the top when people are searching for particular, let's say, topics or things that you have kind of contributed on. But there's so much behind the scenes to kind of push yourself to do better in there. Um, and I don't, I don't believe it's something you can physically see or know what your score is, but yeah. it's just a matter of you thinking someone sure on the inside. It works with, I'm sure that's behind every platform and how they program it. But to me, it really changed what, what I, my whole perception and what I did on LinkedIn immediately. And there's now a daily exchange of either new people to meet, 
um, new clients to meet. And it, I, I can't stress it enough to our listeners that it's something they get on because it is literally like taking all the social media platforms and designing it specifically to help you gain and do better business. There's ways of, you know, you follow the companies you want to work for. So when, if they follow you back and you've posted something of relevance, now you are kind of top of mind to them. So it gives you these tools to really um, customize who you want to go after, how to get business. And I'm so glad we're talking about it. And that, that kind of leads us to this. And if, you, if you're new to this and you're, you've got your LinkedIn account and maybe you haven't done much on there, Josh, what, what can our listeners do? What are three things they could do immediately to kind of you know, jumpstart their LinkedIn so the first thing is make it a purpose of going on LinkedIn in this case and just going through the newsfeed and see what other people are posting. Also go and engage with people, follow companies, follow maybe your, you know, if you have role models, you know, Nick and Wes, if they're your role models, go and connect with them. Uh, connect with people who are not just uh, in your industry, but other service providers who potentially could provide complimentary work and vice versa, who can refer you complimentary work, right? So that might be you know, in the social media space, we use a ton of graphic design, you know, in the web development space, you know, maybe you connect with uh, software developers or, uh, you know, people who do more of the back end, whereas you're doing more of the front end, uh, you know, videographers, photographers, I mean, you can go down the list, you know, lawyers, I mean, just connect with people uh, in general and don't connect with them just because I told you to connect with them because you actually want to develop a meaningful relationship with them. And I think more than anything, this is not about the tactics of three things that you can do. Mm -hmm. It's about the mentality that you have to develop. It's a way of doing business. You know, I, I just wrote a post yesterday, literally, social media is not a marketing strategy. It's a way of doing business. Because when you look at it as a marketing strategy, then it comes and goes. Mm. And, you know, you invest a little bit here and a little bit there, some more than others, depending on how you're feeling every day. But when you look at it as this is how I'm going to operate my business, which means this is how I'm going to develop relationships, get more clients, extend, extend the lifetime value of my clients, uh, and, and maximize word of mouth. If you look at it like that, you'll become automatically more invested and it won't feel like a chore. It'll feel like something that you actually look forward to doing. Yeah. Other things I would recommend in addition to connecting and engaging with people is now go and put out your own content. Yeah. Go put out your own content. And I know for a lot of people, especially people who are not quote unquote natural born create content creators, go and, and, and just try, just put something out there and see what happens. And then if it doesn't get a lot of reaction, that's okay. I have, have you know more than three thousand followers on LinkedIn, and there's sometimes where twenty people read my post, mm -hmm. and that's okay. That's that's a a, a a nature of putting yourself out there. Sometimes not everything you're going to say is interesting. Yeah. Or sometimes right. not everything you're going to say is going to warrant a response or warrant somebody to say, "Wow, I'm so inspired. I'm going to share this." That's okay. But again, one is greater than zero. Just keep putting stuff out there. Listen to your audience. You're going to have posts that are going to do very well, and say, "Okay, well, why did this post do very well versus?" This one didn't do as well and be analytical about it and understand, well, you know, maybe I was more motivational, inspirational here, whereas maybe in the one that didn't do so well, you know, I talked too much about my services or I was, you know, too mundane or whatever it may be. I didn't use enough, you know, metaphors or the, the imagery wasn't right, whatever it may be. If you're putting out an infographic, just be a little bit analytical about it. It's not brain science. And then you'll start to get in the rhythm of understanding not only how much content you can put out on a consistent basis, over the long haul, not just again within a few months, but also what kind of content people like in the network that you're developing. Sure. And what do you think about the idea of, you know, because to tell people to come up with all this content all the time and make everything unique yeah. across every platform, 
that is kind of a tall order for some people. And yeah. what I have done in the past is I will take things that make sense to be kind of repurposed into other areas. For instance, I might start with a blog post about something, and then I might turn that into a video for YouTube, like where I just talk about that same subject, using that as an outline. Um, and then you might make a cover art for that that you put on Pinterest <laughs> that kind of leads back to yeah. the blog. So there are So they're ways, all linked together? Yeah. yeah, there are ways to be smart about kind of repurposing content and not having to reinvent the wheel each time because there are certain things that can be kind of reused in a certain way. hundred percent. Right? We call that, we call, yeah, that's hundred percent true. We call that content atomization where you basically take a brick of content. So a very dense, heavy piece of content that takes you a lot of time and maybe even some money to invest mm -hmm. in creating that piece of content. And then you atomize it and you take the brick and you turn it into several feathers of quote unquote lighter pieces of content. And so, yeah, you might write a post, you know, uh, just as you said, you know, five things to do this. So then that lives on your blog and then maybe you share that on Twitter and LinkedIn and whatever, but then the five things becomes five individual posts for Facebook and then it becomes a few pieces of art for Pinterest. And, you know, maybe it becomes a video that you might share on Instagram or Facebook as well. Um, and so, yeah, you end up deriving multiple pieces of content from that one original brick of content, which is very true. Yeah. I did that piece. The uh, I started with an infographic about what was it? It's um five ways your web. No, it's the basically this ten web design trends of 2016 that are proven to increase conversions. So I did that infographic, and then I did the video based on that. And both of those are kind of number one on there. So one is the video is number one on YouTube for like if you type in 2016 web design trends. And then the infographic is number one on Pinterest for that same. But you know why? Because thing. you use the word conversions. Yeah. A lot of people would say five trends that will you know make your website look better, or five trends right. that will get you more reach on Facebook. Instead of focusing on the end, which is what people really want, they want to convert potential customers oh, yeah. into actual customers. And so those are the things that I really want people to think about as you're creating content. Don't focus on the means. Focus on the end of what business owners and people who are making the decisions to hire you actually want. Yeah. Well, because yeah. like if you're just talking about the trends themselves, all that's going to attract is a bunch of designers who just want to see yeah. the trends. But exactly. Yeah, you bring in, you know, you bring in the end story goal, the conversions, then now suddenly your clients will be interested in it. So that's exactly yeah. right. Okay, Josh. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, it's, it's one thing to have followers and people that kind of read your posts. How do we turn these people into paid clients and customers? So I see it, correct. So I see it as, again, what I said a few minutes ago is that marketing is your ability to establish relevance before people are ready, willing, and able to buy what you're selling. Before, that's the key, the key word there. Mm -hmm. And so once you, you know, a client becomes aware of you, a potential client becomes aware of you, or maybe you reach out to them, that's step one of a six or seven step process. That's the awareness step. So they become aware of who you are and what you do. But nine and a half times out of 10, mm -hmm. they're not going to be ready and willing or able to buy what you're selling in that moment. And I think that's where a lot of people stop, you know, and whether that's a, a referral that they get an email saying, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, a new website or I want to redesign my logo or I, you know, am coming out with a new package that needs to be designed. And so you get that email, you get that phone call and then you send them a proposal or you email them back and then it just stops dead in its tracks. Mm -hmm. Instead of 
focusing on developing a relationship with them and continuing to maintain that relationship, establishing relevance in their life. And then at a certain point in time, they'll be ready. And so after awareness, now you, maybe you add them to your email list or you follow them on LinkedIn and they follow you back or Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. And now you just start, as I say, killing them with content. You know, people say kill them with kindness. I say kill them with content, content that they want, not noisy, annoying, intrusive, salesy content. Yeah. After that, they now start to recognize you because they're now following you. They're reading your emails. They're reading uh, your blog posts. They're seeing your content. And that goes from awareness to recognition to now interest. Now, now you've caught their attention. Now they're interested in what you're talking about and potentially what you can do for them. From interest, we go to belief and trust. Not only are they interested in you, they now believe, they trust that you're the person who can do the job for them. And then the last part is timing, which none of us can control. Yeah. But by staying relevant in their lives through content, you now put yourself in a position, as Nick said a few minutes ago, to be top of mind, top of mind marketing, so that as soon as they're ready, willing and able to buy what you're selling, you're the default. You're, they don't even shop you around. They just say, Nick, what's your price? H- how much should I write the check for? It's like you're already their guy or girl. Exactly. You've right. built all this. And, yeah. and I got an email a week ago from, from a woman who emailed me and said, hey, Josh, I was at your lecture six months ago. I gave a lecture in Tel Aviv about digital marketing. But that's the point is that sometimes it takes six months. But if I didn't add her to my email list and we weren't connected on LinkedIn between that lecture and until that I, got, I got that email a few weeks ago, I would have never had the opportunity to get that email in which she said, I was at your lecture six months ago. And so you take them to that process, awareness, recognition, interest, belief and trust, timing, and then you close the deal. And I, as I said a few, a few minutes ago as well, maybe they never hire you, but they will for sure recommend you to somebody who is willing, ready, and able to hire you if you go through that process of establishing relevance and maintaining relevance over time. Yeah, that's a great example. And it's, uh, it's so short-sighted the way so many people look at this stuff. Like you kind of have a, c- a call with someone and they're like, oh, we're going to go a different way. And you're like, oh, see ya. Have a good life, you know, like you said. But if you can kind of keep in contact with these people, add them on LinkedIn. Even if you have um, kind of a, a call that goes nowhere, just still add them on LinkedIn, right? Like keep in yeah. front of them. I mean, there's just been so, I mean, I can point to so many different examples where I've been in that situation and you get excited, right? You get this email, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I have a new client. And then again, there's so many different reasons why people are not ready to hire you, why they want to hire you, but maybe they don't have the means to hire you. There's just Mm -hmm. so many. And I tell people, don't focus on why they're not ready to hire you or why they can't hire you. Focus on how you can maintain relevance in their life until they're able willing and ready to hire you. And chances are, if they're that, if they're trying that hard and it might not be the right timing, chances are those people, they're going to find the right time. It it, it will become, that part you can almost bet on. What you can't, what you got to do is make sure in the in-between, you've done all kind of what you've said. I want to bring up one more example to really hit this home. Uh, I, you know, got a referral from somebody. I had a Skype call with this person. It was a big, big watch company, online watch company doing several million dollars in sales a year. And, you know, we went through the whole process, you know, I'm interested, I'm ready to start working. I sent them the service agreement and then boom, silence, mm-hmm. you know, a week later I followed up, you know, sir, are you ready to sign the agreement? Like we talked about nothing. Three weeks, three weeks later, I'm not even joking you. 
I get an email from him saying, hi, Josh, I just got an email that from, from LinkedIn, which was recommending me content that gets posted on LinkedIn. And one of the articles was from you. I read your article. I loved it so much. I'm signing the contract today. <laughs> sure enough, signed wow. the contract today. <laughs> and then boom. And that was yeah. a big, big client, several thousand dollars a month. So the point I'm making is that, again, you have to stay relevant. And, 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 and the great thing about social media, too, is that it allows you to scale. Instead of having to do all these one-to-one follow-ups through mm-hmm. email, through phone mm-hmm. call, you start the relationship in a one-to-one capacity. And then you now add them to your network. And so when you promote or when you post one blog post or one photo or one video, it now goes from you as the individual to 50, 100, 150, 200, 500 people. Yep. And that's scalability. Mm-hmm. And that now saves you time and the hassle of having to maintain all these one-to-one relationships. Yeah, such a good I point. The relevancy of you popping up in his feed without being, it wasn't planned, but you still did the work to make sure your post was there. So what a great, uh, support to go like, wow, this is the dude I was talking to. And the connection was made. That's great. What a right. good example. And it's not salesy. It's again, I'm whenever I'm putting out content, I believe that I'm truly adding value. I'm mm-hmm. inspiring you. I'm I'm challenging you to think a, a different way. Uh, I'm I'm motivating you. I'm providing you with things that you can go and apply for your own business without me. And when you do that and you constantly add value, you develop relationships that go a lot deeper than just business service provider. And to me, it's, it's, you know, it's allowed me to double my hourly rate from $30 an hour to now $100 an hour in less than a year. You know, Because before, I didn't do all this stuff. I didn't market myself. I didn't develop my personal brand. I wasn't focused on the big picture stuff. I was just focused on what most people who start out as freelancers and service providers focus on, which is how can I get clients? You need clients because if you don't have clients, you don't have a business. But in order to maximize your value and to get paid what you really feel you're worth as opposed to what they can find in the market, you can go and hire people in India and in and, 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 and Singapore or people in this country for a lot less money than you want to make. But when you develop that relationship based on value, when you develop your personal brand, and I'll leave you with this, you command what you want to make without them second-guessing or shopping you around. Yep. Couldn't have said it better. That's great. Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks so much for being on with us, Josh. This was great. Do you want to stick around and help us answer the listener question? By all means. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we get to that, let's talk about our friends at FreshBooks. You're a designer, not an accountant, right, Nick? (laughs) (laughs) Last time I checked, yes. Yep. We do not like sending out invoices. It's It's not the sexy part of the job of a designer. So basically what FreshBooks allows you to do was just to have these templatized invoices. You really quickly add a new client, you add the invoice, you can save all the different, uh, you know, all the different prices and all the different services you offer. Like for instance, when I send out a logo design, I literally just send, I just plug and play logo and then just fill in the name of the company and then say, request a deposit. And there you go. Then when they pay the deposit, then when when the job is over, then I just click to send the rest of the invoice to get paid the rest of it. Did that just this morning, in fact. Thanks, You're Fresh a Books. superstar. You're a superstar, dude. Yep. FreshBooks Ninja. They get, <laughs> they get us paid. So, so basically, it's really easy as a designer. You can customize the colors just by adding your logo. They pull the colors from it. Um, you can see if an invoice has, been, invoice has been looked at. So there's no more, uh, we didn't get it. Yes, you did. 
And you Fire. printed it out. <laughs> exactly. You can see, even see that. So, and it keeps track of your expenses for tax time. Um, Nick has been using it forever. Mikkel and I have been using it for the past, I don't know, six months. And there's no going back to the old yeah, just in. PayPal invoices. How, it's, it's, how it's ghetto is that? Such a, it's worth such a try just to, to see how much it makes your life a lot easier. And that's the best thing about our deal is just try it and see what difference it makes because you could spend more time doing what you really love doing and less time on the stuff that you don't. And, and I, 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 it's such a great partner. I, don't you feel like it? You know, I hate to kind of call it that, but that's exactly what FreshBooks yeah. is. They are definitely my partner in business, I'll tell you that. I mean, just having, having them as a service makes my job so much easier. And so basically what Nick was touching on, we've got a one-month free deal for our listeners. You don't even need the credit card to sign up. So just go to freshbooks.com slash deeply graphic and then enter deeply graphic in the how did you hear about us section. All right, cool. We've got a listener question. This one comes to us from Austin McGowan. And here's the question. I'm a recent graduate with a BFA in graphic design and have been on the job hunt out here for about three months now. I've had a really tough time finding positions that fit my experience level and oftentimes even getting a response to my application. Across the board, I've been gathering research on the companies, framing my cover letters to fit the respective job, and checking that my work can support what they're looking for. Do you all have any advice on ways to improve how a job application is received? What would you expect to see from a recent college grad and what jobs do you think are appreciative or sorry, are appropriate for recent graduates to go for? Man, I bet there's a lot of people out there like this, you know, um, great question, Austin, for sure. Yeah, there are. Okay. So a little bit of my experience being on the other side of this, Mm because I've gotten applications sent to me, um, you know, and I, I don't want to sound harsh, but I will say 90% of the applications that I've gotten over the years are not good. Mm-hmm. Like I think, and it sounds like such a simplistic answer to this question, but you, it stand out, like make yeah. sure it's make sure your work is good. Like, cause usually um, an application will have um, kind of links to your work. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's going to be the much more important thing as a designer, just seeing samples yeah. of what you've done, particularly when you're it tells you everything. Recent, Yeah, when you're a recent college grad, no one's going to be expecting you to have data to support all your. They kind of just kind of want to want to see what you've done, like the look of it, the aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. Um, What would you? What do you think, Nick, about kind of having a small section on the resume or on the application? He's saying application here, but that I think application. I think you're applying to work at Wetzel's Pretzels and you fill out the thing. Um, I'm. I think we're talking more about his application process. I think he's talking more about, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about having a small section that just has like photos of stuff you've done? I, what I encourage my students and it's the thing they do at the very end of the class, it's called a, we do it, it's called a one pager Mm -hmm. and it's, it's a combination of a mini portfolio abbreviated uh, uh, resume. And I think at, at that point, if you don't have enough relevant experience to brag about, fill that space up with some of your work to really put that out there front and center. Like you said, if I know I'm hiring a junior designer, the first thing I want to know is what level they're at as a designer. And then I hope they are, you know, they're, they're, they, you know, all the other things kind of fall into place after that, including personality, Mm -hmm. including kind of everything about them, their attitude. And then when you finally do talk to them, but what I would suggest 
for Austin and anybody here is try maybe doing that. Combine your mini portfolio with a, a resume to give them a very quick capture from the very beginning. Remember, you are part of a digital database of resumes among hundreds of other competitors. So I could tell you a really great story about one of my students, uh, Joseph, who just landed a job. He, he asked when he was on his second or third day and they said, um, to tell you the truth, out of over 600 applicants, he was the only one who physically mailed in a resume and a cover letter old school, you know? And uh. I think that's a, that's a huge thing because a physical application resume, small little bio, maybe two or three pages of, a, of your work. Why not? That's, that's how else can you stand out better? Specifically, if your work's good, like we said, and you're, you're sending it in. I think you, you immediately put yourself above, at least you're in a pile of physical stuff rather than in someone's inbox, yeah. you know? And I think I was great. I was so happy to hear that. And, um, another student was really successful in the fact that once they did get there, they showed their progress a little bit more in the work rather than just finished work. And I think he had a lot of success with that, but I know Austin's really just trying to get the, the, the call back. And I, and I think, the best thing you can do is sharpen your skills, make your work look great. Totally. The best thing I can say is don't have student work in there. If you're a recent graduate, do your own work to kind of make the work more relevant, more branded. I think everyone wants to see branding so much in, in, in portfolios. So if there's something missing, make it yourself and add it and then stand out, you know, get yourself a physical resume and print something really nice and send it to that person. I think that's so different now. And it's sad that that's, that's not the norm, you know? Yeah. And what do you think about, um, cause I know when I was younger and like, there was a lot of discussion with other designers about how designed the resume needs to be. Oh, like, yeah. Some people went really <laughs> crazy with it. I remember that. What do you uh, think in terms of like, I, I kind of come down yeah. and it's not, I mean, don't make it look like shit, but yeah. don't spend too much time making it, you know, yeah, less is, that way. I think less is more when it comes to the graphic side of your resume. Is that what you're saying? Like how yeah. much, how much like people adding would on, put yeah. like charts and graphs on it. Like, yeah. And they would say things like, you know, two years, 12,000 cups of coffee, like all these, it's like, okay, yeah, we've seen that before. Exactly. I would leave it to just. The content as as strong as you can. I think less is more is t definitely more confident. Have a very if you haven't refined your brand on your own resume and your cover letter and everything, really take the time to do something confident, really sophisticated. Don't get too crazy with all the sidebars and like you said, the added graphs and everything. People want confidence. I think that's I want to see clean and I want to see confident. That's really. Those are the things that I think I look for. And I really stress the, I have students will come to me and they have this crazy idea and it's, it's very cool and it's very creative, but a, a potential reviewer is just going to pass that by. Let your work stand for itself and be really, really confident. That's, that's what I would yeah. say on that side, the printed thing. Yep. I like your tip for sending it in physically. You know? Josh, anything else in yeah. terms of just. What can they do on so, LinkedIn while they're waiting? So I actually <laughs> wrote a post about this for a website called Elite Daily, if you know that website. Uh, but, uh, basically the, the idea was personal branding, which we've been talking about for this entire podcast, which is, you know, uh, create, a, a, 
a brand around yourself that's not just about you as the professional, you as the recent grad, you as this, you know, hungry, ready to work, you know, willing to do anything type of person, but also add those personal layers as well. And I just want to bring up a quick example that you actually might have both heard of, um, which was this uh, young woman, Nina, who really, really wanted to work at Airbnb. And so instead of doing what everyone else is doing, which is sending resumes and cover letters, which is probably what they're asking for, she took a different approach. She created an online resume that was modeled after Airbnb's website, and it went viral. Oh, that's right. They flew her out. They flew her out, I believe, to New York. And long story short, she didn't get the job at Airbnb because they didn't have a job for for to offer. She actually wasn't applying. They sued her for copyright infringement. But (laughs) but, (laughs) yeah, now she's ten thousand dollars in debt. But uh, (laughs) no, what ended up happening is she got such great online press from her outside the box thinking approach that she got a job at Upwork. And, you know, the point is that, and I think you both alluded to it in different aspects, is that you have to, you know, there's a great quote by, uh, I believe it's Henry David Thoreau, when he says, you know, if everyone's going in one direction, it's probably a time to think about going in a different one. So if everyone's sending cover letters and resumes, or, or if everyone's designing their resume to stand out and look pretty and shiny and sexy, it's probably a sign to maybe look in a different direction and be quote unquote outside the box. Cause once upon a time, everyone who designed a resume thought that was outside the box. Now everyone's doing that. So it's inside the box. Now you got to think outside the box and that might be designing your own website. Maybe you show people that you can develop a, a robust following uh, on Instagram and you just have this awesome, like, you know, graphic design, artwork oriented Instagram channel that has thousands of followers and the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Right. Like you don't even have to say anything. It's like, boom, like this is what I've created and people like it. So if I have thousands of people who like it on Instagram, I'm sure your clients are going to like it. You know, if you're trying to get a job at an agency or something, for instance, but I would just definitely hit home the idea that you have to constantly be thinking outside the box and don't do what everyone else is doing because then you're just going to blend in. And now you're talking about, I mean, you said that there were yeah. 600 applicants. Yeah, and only you know, one person sent it. Right. And so with 600 yeah. applicants, I mean, you're, the chances of even getting a phone call back are slim to none and, and slim just left town. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where you just, and that's hard, like, right? It's easier for us to sit here and say, oh, here's an example and this is what you should do. It's hard to be creative. But if you're a graphic designer, if you're in branding, you're creative by nature. So you have what it takes. Mm-hmm. You just have to think a little bit harder. Yeah. Well, we're not going to do any better than that. That's good stuff. So where can people find you online, Josh? So you can check out my personal website, joshhoffman.com, J-O-S-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.com. You can also check out my website, thesocialmediafreelancer.com. And love to connect. Follow me on LinkedIn, of course, Twitter, <laughs> of Instagram. Course. Uh, and, and yeah, you know, I'm very happy to help people as well. So, you know, shoot me an email through my website if you have any questions or whatever. Um, and, uh, appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. It's, we've learned a lot. All right, Nicholas, where can people find you online? Where can they see your sexy new video? Uh, check it out at longodesigns.com and, uh, longodesigns as well on Instagram. And yeah, I, I love seeing new people show up, uh, on LinkedIn from the podcast as well. So, uh, check us out there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, yeah, speaking of LinkedIn, um, the deep end is actually on LinkedIn now. So I think, uh, I don't know what, I think you just might have to search for the deep end design though. I don't remember what the link is. Or you can go, if you go to your page, I think your company should show up in link to your personal page as well. So, or search for it. Yep. Yeah. Search for the deep end design. 
follow follow the company there. Follow the show on Twitter at Wes McDowell and uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash the deep end design. All right, cool. Um, this was a great episode. I learned a lot. I think everyone can have definitely a few takeaways from it. So with sure. that in mind, keep designing. Catch us next time on the Deeply Graphic Design Cast. Thank you.